And I know you'll see that a song changes everything. Well, good morning. I, uh, I am Elizabeth Copeland. I am the founder and chief playwright for Grief Dialogues. And I'm honored to be here with these two wonderful people. And I would like to introduce my co-host for my Out of Grief Comes Art podcast, Hallie Williams. Hi, everyone. You guys all know me. I'm not a new face. <laughs> You're new to our people, maybe, though. Oh, that's right. Sorry. Hi. Yeah. I'm, I'm the marketing director for uh, Grief Dialogues, and I am recording live for you, I guess, from Seattle area. I'm on my back deck of my childhood home, which is kind of fun, visiting my mom. So we are going to have a great episode today. Um, so beautiful cold. yeah <laughs> a little no. gray and cold but we're not complaining and i just heard thunderclouds but mm -hmm. i I'm, I'm with it i'm with right. it we'll make this quick this will so get exciting <laughs> we'll see what water does on your art project Ooh. today <laughs> projects tell me more yes. uh catherine do you want to tell kind of tell everybody uh, what we're doing today and what supplies they'll need so they can, well, they'll have headphones on so they can run around, get their supplies while we're chatting. Yes. Sure. So we're doing kind of a memory-based project today and you can really use anything you have on hand, but have some colors. So it can be crayons, colored pencils, watercolors, paints. Um, you can use brushes, your fingers. Yep. Those work. Um, uh, and you'll need a sheet of paper. I would get a few sheets of paper. Um, I have like half a paper stack. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. A pencil. I mean, you don't, you don't need a pencil, but um, as long as you have some colors, you'll be good to go. So recycled paper. Oh. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> we got it. That makes well, me feel bad. Mine is like fresh out. That's <laughs> recycled. is smart. I, I want to... Um, start off for our listeners at arts for the health of it and talking about what you do uh at grief dialogues and for out of grief comes art because sure. i think we're, we're doing this on um a very special day and that's why we're all coming together today to talk about grief and so i want to know kind of your side of how what your organization does to deal with grief and we'll talk about how our side does and then we'll all merge together and make beautiful art Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay, well, great. Well, as I mentioned, I'm the founder of Grief Dialogues, and Grief Dialogues is a 501c3 nonprofit based in Seattle, Washington, but we do our work actually globally. We've done shows in the UK as well as um, around the country here. It started because in I'm a big theater buff, you know, moved to New York City after high school to be a you know famous actress. Obviously, that didn't work out real well, but my theater love was still there. And about uh, six, seven years ago now, uh, I lost three people very close to me in one year. Yeah. And I, whenever I would bring up the situation or the discussion around grief and death, a lot of people, you could see their eyes glaze over and, you know, they changed the topic to weather or whatever would come up in their minds. Anything but death, right? Because it was contagious. So I started writing a play that is actually a composite of the the three deaths that I had been witness to in that, in that year. And then once the play, and, and actually, so I showed it to, to some theater friends who really enjoyed it, told me to enter it in the contest, I did, and started winning some of these contests. And those of you who are playwrights out there know that 
when you win a contest, what you win is an opportunity to have your play staged. <laughs> so uh, no monetary value, but definitely a real fantastic uh, opportunity. So the play was, at that time, the play was uh, Hospice, a Love Story. And it's a short play between two sisters. And it's about the day after their mother has died. And I traveled the country, because I always like to attend when my play has been performed. And I found that in the audiences, if people knew that I was the playwright, that led to them talking about their own grief situations or their own uh, loss of a loved one in some way. And it was like my play was giving them permission to, to share their stories. And that's how Grief Dialogues was born. I approached several playwright friends of mine, and then I even did a call for submissions. We got six short plays depicting various scenarios around dying, death, and or grief. And we interspersed some poetry between the plays, creating about an hour and 10 minute stage production. And boy, did the conversations really happen after those that production. And we actually facilitate background talkback. I should say, we facilitate talkbacks, usually with end of life experts and therapists, et cetera. And we have actually found that more and more times than not, in fact, one performance we had here on Bainbridge Island outside of Seattle, the show went on for an hour and 10 minutes. The talk back went on for an hour and 20 minutes. And I actually had to gently uh, cut it off. But, but anyway, so that's how Grief Dialogues was born. I needed help doing social media in the early stages. And I reached out to Hallie. Take it away, Hallie. Oh, <laughs> and you're on. <laughs> yeah, well, so I was in college and actually I've known Elizabeth um, my whole life. She's one of my mom's really, really close friends. And um, so she's seen me grow up and I think I'm sure they were having wine one night and she was talking about Greek dialogues and my mom plugged me in and was like, you know, Hallie goes to school for marketing. Why don't you call her? So she called me and it started kind of as a, like, you scratch my back. I scratch yours. I need work for school, you know, for my portfolio and experience. And she was like, I need help. And so that kind of worked. And then I fell in love with it. Um, I just felt like the message and conversation was super important. And so I have been here since um, very recently I did, I have experienced grief in, in different ways, various ways, like while growing up, right? Um, but the first big grief movement for me was just actually this February when my dad really suddenly passed. Um, it was one of those unexpected, expected things. He'd been sick for a long time with diabetes and congestive heart failure, with which a lot of people don't, I think in their mind, don't register that as like an illness that can be terminal like it, you know like it's one of those things you hear like oh someone has diabetes and they're like okay and you don't there's different it's a, it's a scale right. and right. my dad had been sick for a long time and really not taking care of himself for most of my life and the doctors always said you know if you don't take care of yourself one day you could drop dead you know like like that type of thing um and then it happened so that really kind of hit me like a truck like I was like whoa and I wasn't mentally like that day was never actually going to come and then all of a sudden it did um I am a mom of two um two kids that are under five and it's a blessing and I'm married and I'm just very wrapped up in my in the trenches as my as my mother would tell me she's like you're in the trenches girl um but I was really focused on that and so having this loss of someone so close to me was 
really when what Elizabeth says is on the job training. That's like really when my role with grief dialogues became so much more than just my role. Like, you know, Oh, I work with this nonprofit and we do important work. And now it was like, Oh no, this is like my heart right now. Um, so I'm here of course as the marketing person, because that's, that's my schooling and my brain. And that's really what I can contribute soundly. Um, but also because I think that talking about grief and expressing grief is just so important. And as a young person who all of a sudden was the power of attorney and had all these choices to make and, you know, big grief hurdles in front of me, I realized, and as a black woman, I realized that there are a lot of obstacles surrounding grief that are just not addressed. And um, I think art is a great way to address them. So here I am. Whistle crayons. <laughs> <laughs> what what would you say some of those obstacles are that that seem to be common? Okay, well, there's a lot. Um, <laughs> so I'll throw out a bunch, and to listeners, I'm sure that you will. E each one is very is different, and if it resonates with you, feel free to message. I think any of us about these things, but you know, especially me, I'm happy to talk about any of them. Ones that are important to me. Um, huge one was the okay my dad and in my family we didn't talk about end of life it was just like we don't it's not no it's one's not gonna discussed. die mm -hmm. no one's gonna die like <laughs> oh yeah we all will die at some point but we're not gonna die we're not gonna talk about that um so when my dad was dying and he was in transition um literally amongst the last hundred his last hundred words. I mean, I can't, I cannot kid you. He made the point. It was so important to him to, to, to like find these words that he could barely speak and say that he wanted to be buried with all these specifications with his bass guitar from when he was in his band, when he was younger in Alaska mm. with his mother in the grounds, like open up her thing. Like, and he, the bass guitar strap, there's something else. And I remember standing there with like my top, my one-year-old on my hip, in this you know hospital we had just flown in because at the time we hadn't we didn't live where he was at and I'm probably hadn't showered in like three days and I'm just looking at him like I mean my sister was there holding his hands like okay dad we'll do everything we can and I'm here the big sister the power of attorney literally borderline just like meltdown like how come we I didn't know you wanted this and I cannot give this to you and with what money and with like it was the worst feeling in the world. Mm -hmm. So end of life conversations were mm -hmm. an obstacle that I didn't quite, it didn't click to me until that moment of how severe and how important it is to have those conversations. Another thing was as a black woman, I ran into a lot of diversity issues within our hospice mm -hmm. system, which sucked. That was not what I wanted to focus on while my dad was dying. And while okay. I was trying to process that, quite literally having people at the front desk not want to help me because of my race or because they thought that perhaps I wouldn't have the funds to go through all of the hoops to jump through um, because my dad wasn't economically set up ideally in their mind, which like fun fact, my husband and I are so, you know, middle finger to everyone who thinks that black folks can't be successful <laughs> for a reason. Um, like it was very frustrating. That, that was an element in my process. That's not what, my focus wanted to be. Um, another thing was that I had children. I had, I have children and talking to kids about grief is really hard. And also when mm. you're trying to figure it out yourself, it's really hard mm. and ask really unfiltered questions, um, <clears throat> which are valid questions. I mean, 
mm-hmm. totally, but they're hard to parse through, especially as a young parent. You're like, mm-hmm. I don't really know how to answer this. Um, anyway, so hey. um, those are just a few things that were really important to me. I could go on and on and on and on and on, but um, yeah, I feel like now I'm rambling. Someone else have a good voice and talk. <laughs> I think it's, it's interesting that voice. you're like, oh God. I think it's interesting that you sort of had that practice what you preach moment, right? Like you, this has been your work and all of a sudden you were faced with it was, was art something that, how quickly did you turn to art when you realized, like kind of put two and two together of like, oh, this is maybe how I should help. Yeah. So I'm, first of all, I'm a really artsy fartsy person. Like I've always been, I've always been like popsicle glue stick chick, like (laughs) my cleaners, beads, you know, drawing, doodling. Like I've always been that type of girl. So I'm not scared of getting artsy. So Mm -hmm. I just, I think that I turned my art into digital art, doing graphic design and marketing at some point as I became an adult and made a career and all those things. Um, So the crazy thing is, I remember calling Elizabeth literally as Dad is dying. And I, I remember calling her and she was just like my lifeline, but I wasn't calling her really to cry. I was like, okay, what can we do for marketing? What can we do for work? Like I turned, for me, my art was, was the work almost, which I have mixed feelings on how I've handled that because sometimes I push myself a little too much in the work zone and shove my feelings. But I think it's really important to express something mm-hmm. while you're going through the emotion. So we interviewed somebody on our podcast, Out of Grief Comes Art, and they said something that really sticks with me. It's like, you just have to move the grief in your body. It's not like it's going to go away, but you got to move it. You can't Mm -hmm. just sit in one spot. Mm -hmm. And I think that's exactly what I did. So I think I turned to art immediately. Um, And I would encourage most people to move that grief, however that is. If it's with crayons, if it's with graphic design, if it's with, you know, it could be baking. That baking's a form of art, you know, right? Like journaling, you know. Yeah, like just get it, get it going because yeah. if you just let it sit, I think it bottles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Are we ready to um, maybe create some art today? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> um, so this this project, um, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to kind of we'll try to be quick. So. Um, the first thing is to just bring someone to mind that, um, and this is maybe a question for later while we're doing this, Elizabeth, for you, is that if um, the grief that you're helping people process, if it's specific to a loss of life or if it spans into loss of a friendship, which can be very difficult or loss of a job or, you know, um, we can chat about that. But so if, if you're listening and you're thinking like, I don't have someone close to me that I've lost, um, Maybe it's thinking of someone that you are close to right now. Um, and I want you to write down, I don't know, like one to five things about this person, whether they're still here or not, um, that like joy memories that you have with that person. Um, so I'll give you a couple minutes to do that. It could be a like one specific memory and then um, specific details within that memory, or it could be different things about them that bring you joy when you think of it. Mm. 
Okay. I'm done. Okay. How are we doing? Yeah. Okay. And then um, I would like you to assign a color to each thing. Um, and so it might, that might be very literal. Like if it was someone's lipstick, like, you know, what color that is, or, um, or it can be just more symbolic. Um, so assign a color to each one. And then I'm going to add my, my other screen here. Does that work, Richard? <laughs> Cheryl, you t you're doing the work. I'll do this okay. part. <laughs> okay. So are you guys, you're done with that part? Yes. Yeah. I okay. So um, you'll take your paper and it doesn't matter what size it is, um, what shape. Um, and you can take either a pencil or uh, a crayon. Like I would say, just draw lightly if you're using a color right off the bat. And we're just going to draw this. You can do this a, a lot of ways, but um, I'm going to draw kind of a spiral shape starting in the middle and just working my way out toward the edges. You could also just do concentric circles. That's another way. I'm going to grab a pencil. And as it gets bigger, the parts of that spiral, they can, they can just go right off the page. I don't know if that's hard to see. It's like the beginning of the yellow brick road. That's right. Yeah. Yes. I think, I think yeah. you are the Wizard yeah. of Oz, Richard. <laughs> no, I'm Dorothy, but that's another story. <laughs> You, this is like the third Wizard of Oz reference you've made. Well, that's you made kind of before we started too, when we were just like logging I should, on. I should start so, a Wizard of Oz did podcast. Did you just watch it? You should do a Wizard of Oz podcast. <laughs> okay, and since I think most of you are using crayons, um, Richard, are you using paint? Yes. Yeah, is that right? Okay. Um, so you'll take uh, colors closest to what you assigned to each part of that memory. And we're going to start um, in the middle. And you could trace over that initial line that you made. Um, you could break it up into pieces. We're just starting to fill out your composition with these colors that have a oh. meaning attached to them for you. Um, some people like to make, you know, if, if a part of the memory feels more um, significant to them, they'll make that color more prominent. Um, so Can I ask a question? Yeah. Um, does it matter like light, like the one we start with, if it should be lighter, should it be darker, does it matter? It, um, that's a good question. I would say if you're using um, paint, you probably want to start light. Okay. Actually, any material. So yeah, I would start with the lighter color. Good question, Richard. <laughs> So it's always easy to go darker. You can't, it's, it's a lot harder to lighten it first. If you are, yeah, my mistake. If you already started, don't worry. That's like hair truth. Like, <laughs> your hairdresser is like, are you sure you want to go lighter? Cause we can't like. <laughs> okay, well that was the conversation with my hairdresser. Okay. <laughs> 
when do we get it are we going to share our stories or is this private yeah. like you no it, so well so i'll just we're basically just going to keep building this out and we can we can talk while we're doing this but you're going to keep building out your design um here i can show some examples like this is Ooh. one with concentric Ooh. circles Ooh. um this one is more probably more like what we're doing today where we're just starting to build out oh wow that is depth it's got a 3d effect to it <laughs> So we can certainly chat while we're creating this. Um, so that I want to, I want to make sure there's no judgment here. I mean, like yours could be at the museum, mine could be in the recycling pile. <laughs> there is no judgment at all. It's it's just the fact that that we're doing it, and I think it goes back to what Hallie was saying: is that you know, like you, it has to move through you, right? Mm -hmm. um, and just letting it be more of a process piece than. There's, there's no pressure of this has to hang somewhere. <laughs> this would um, also just be a great like memory piece to make with someone, like mm -hmm. having you Excellent. both okay, add also, colors to it. Can I just say also sometimes, at least for me, my brain goes, I think, and I have a hard time stopping. It's kind of nice just to have a brain break. Yes. Yes. You know, like, I don't know. I'm still very fresh out of this recent grief with my dad and sometimes I just want to stop thinking for just a few minutes. Like I overanalyze how I'm feeling. Why do I feel this way? And what, you know, and sometimes I'm kind of just like, uh, my brain hurts. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's taking us out of the verbal, verbal expression. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, but... so many times I know in grief, I don't always have the right words. No. And doing something like this, uh, I just think is brilliant. Yeah. Well, and Elizabeth, could you could you share a little bit about, you know, I, I don't know if we, you like classify grief or, or how, how you guys have those conversations when or when you get submissions from people for your books? Um, are they specifically about people who have died or is it a broader spectrum? Um, our first book was about people who died. Mm -hmm. and uh and the all relationships just about every scenario you could possibly think of the second book we're not as specific as that it needs to be a person but our theme actually is out of grief comes art now it doesn't have to be fine art it, you know, it doesn't have to be the museum quality piece but the theme has to focus on that so you it could be a loss of a pet it could be loss of a job mm -hmm. um, and sometimes that loss of a job isn't just a job, it's the loss of identity. Oh my gosh, our um, episode that just came out recently was with someone named Venice Vinegar, and she's amazing, but she went through a major job loss, and it was like blindside, right? Mm. She had a whole identity, like grief identity. Wait, identity, wait, hold, I don't know how to say that. She felt like she lost her identity mm. and was grieving that. And it was such an interesting conversation because she was like, I really didn't realize I was so wrapped up in who I was with this job. And then just from COVID and things, things got rearranged and she was at a loss, you know? Right. Her identity. She And it was a layoff. It wasn't a firing. Oh, no, 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 no. She, uh, had been there quite a while and just kind of assumed that she would not be one of the ones getting those mm -hmm. pink slips. So there was all kinds of things that factored into her grief that include included uh, the feeling of betrayal uh, in addition to 
no longer being, you know, and, and then too, when you look at your, your job title, you, even when you were working in that job, is that really who I am? You know, sure. executive mm-hmm. assistant, that sounds pretty lame. You know, <laughs> not that there's anything lame about it, but, but you realize just how, how much you were attached to whatever words were put on you. And then all of a sudden those, those no longer apply. Um, and that mm-hmm. happens when you lose a person too. You're still you're still somebody's daughter, but when that person, right. that father, that mother is no longer alive, it changes your identity. And I'll never forget. Um, shortly after my mother had died, my dad had died four years prior, that I realized that I was an orphan, and even mm. in my advanced age, that's still I still felt that. You no, know, really intense loss and in that I was no longer, it didn't feel like I was necessarily somebody's daughter anymore. Um, that feeling has since changed, but at first it was, it was pretty, pretty powerful and uh, very, what I want to say, almost paralyzed me at the thought of not, not being an active daughter, so to speak. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, with any loss, I think it's a change and it's like, how do we cope with that change? You know? Sure. Cause it shifts your identity. Yeah. Or, and your reality. And it's, mm-hmm. it's like a new part of you that you kind of have to figure out what to do with. You're like, oh, okay, where do you fit? Now, do you guys give tools for people to have more um, empathetic, responses to grief I'm, at the beginning Elizabeth you were saying like if, if that if conversation ever came up with people they just kind of was like oh, I don't want to talk about that yeah. <laughs> well actually we we have a lot of resources and a lot of uh, tools one of the ones uh, if you want to make it fun believe it or not having those death talks can be fun one of the tools that we promote is a is a thing called I'll show you a box here it's called the death Death. Oh my gosh. Death. And this it's has really some cool. wonderful prompts for having those those having those conversations. So we we share tools like that. We also on the website have other other resources, but primarily our biggest tool, if you will, is encouraging people to share their stories. That is so healing or or, or yeah. it begins the process of healing. And sharing your story can be written, it can be doing art like this, it can be writing a song, it could be even starting a home-based business, mm. entrepreneurial. So those, that's that's what we do, that's what we offer. But I would say if someone said, What is the one resource that you are really good at providing i would say it's stories it's the sharing of stories yeah Yeah. i would agree what have both of you learned about life about death since working in this field well i will jump in here real quick uh because i used to give talks at universities in the psychology departments of, of up-and-coming therapists and I would start off the conversation with something like studies have shown that 100% of the human race will die mm-hmm. you're going to die <laughs> just back to life right? you're, you're going to be gone 
So just kind of uh, coming to that realization myself, you know, I've seen so many things like maps of the universe, especially now that they have that new telescope, right? You see the vastness of the universe and you, you are this tiny, infinitesimal, unimportant speck in the global, you know, universe. And there could be even more universes. But the one thing we all have in common is we're all going to die. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the biggest revelation that I'm I'm one of of many can help with the feeling of I'm not alone in this. And and I will add that when my plays are performed, often that is the first thing that somebody will say to me after production. I thought I was the only one that felt mm-hmm. that way. I didn't realize other people had problems with their brother when you know at our mother's deathbed or or whatever that's been really something really eye-opening to me is the number of people who really take solace in knowing they're not um that they're not alone and what about you guys though can you and actually while you tell me i'm gonna move inside because it's like raining raining and there's light. so but <laughs> My question is, so everyone gets to come into my childhood home and get a house tour, but um, what about you guys? How, how, what have you learned with grief and art in your work? Do you want me to go, Richard? Sure. <laughs> um, so I guess just to explain a little to your listeners, um, we bring art experiences um, to patients and caregivers who are facing life-altering health challenges. So um, a lot of our work is with people who are going through cancer treatment. Um, Oftentimes they are uh, limited to their hospital room for weeks and weeks at a time. So they're very isolated. Um, And I think when I was working with patients, um, what I noticed is even if they did not want to do art, um, we would end up talking for a while and inevitably there was crying. And um, I think, and then they would apologize, like a lot of people would apologize for crying. Um, And most of the time it was, my impression was it was them processing just this, for some of them, like this new reality that, hey, I'm, I'm undergoing cancer treatment. I don't know what's going to happen. There's, you know, a lot of fear. Um, and just being able to, to speak about it with someone um, that, that came up frequently. Um, right. Yeah. I don't know, Richard, if you want to add. People do apologize a lot for crying. Yes. <laughs> I, I do. I mean, I do too. Like, I'll start crying. You know, like, I'm sorry. My sister's like, no, stop. But I'm a chronic crier. I'll cry over anything. Uh, I will cry over food. I will cry. I will. Uh, and so I never apologize. Uh, but I encourage everybody to cry because I, I always tell people crying is just as important as laughing, um, mm-hmm. I think. But I think what I've learned is, is kind of what you were saying of, uh, you know, there's only one way out of here and that's death. And it is fascinating to me that we as, as people oh, got some awful feedback um we as this is why we don't do things live all the time uh, <laughs> we as, like we as people like we haven't been able to 
deal with it. Like, and it's, I don't know. It has watching people and becoming friendly with people in the hospital that, you know, aren't going to get to go home has sort of, I don't know, either softened me to the idea that it's just what is going to happen and it's a natural part of everything, or it's either hardened me into blocking mm-hmm. it. But I find myself making a lot of art now when things are, when I don't know how else to like talk about it. When you need to process it, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, I, or I'm sick of talking about it when there are too many people asking questions mm-hmm. or there are too many things going on and you need to sort of go inside for a little bit. You know, like the best question and the worst question all at once is when people ask you how you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, like, I mean, just recently losing my father, they're like, how are you? How are you holding up? How are you doing? I'm like, first of all, I don't know. Okay. Mm-hmm. Second of all, we avoided that question this morning. We just went straight to coffee. So I'm not there. And <laughs> if you really want me to unpack it, then I will cry. So yeah. are you ready for that? Yeah. Maybe not. Like, <laughs> yeah. Those are all the thoughts in my head. So then I just nod and say, I'm good. And then, <laughs> and then I try to change the topic, which it's just that hard thing. I wish that we spoke about grief more casually because it is, I mean, death and loss really is the only thing that's guaranteed in this life. So why do we tiptoe around it? Yeah. I, I want to add um, that my sister gave me this pillow uh, way back in time. Actually, our father had just died. My husband almost died um, yeah. and was in the hospital. Had, my mom had Parkinson's. I had to move her out. I had a 18 um, month old with special needs. I was going to say the boys were young, right? Yes. Yeah. Alexander's only 18 months. It was pretty dramatic. Anyway, my, mm-hmm. And I would, you know, people would say, well, how are you? How are you doing? How are you holding up? And I would, my response was always, really, I'm fine. And she actually found this pillow. I'm fine. <laughs> and I really, I'm fine. Uh, and it's in my, my bedroom. Uh, so, so, yeah, really, I'm fine. And I mean, is- we're kind of programmed to say, even though that's not how we feel. It's too bad. I, mean, I feel like there should be a balance. There's a balance of, like, you're saying it because you want to believe it. And... Also, you're kind of saying it to maybe in a nice way, tell people like back off. I'm good. Yeah. But also, at what point do we give ourselves space and credit and maybe say like, I'm not fine. And. And who do we feel safe doing that with? Right. Or where. And that could be with art. Right. Mm -hmm. Like art doesn't really judge you. True. Maybe. Or not. How, How are these art pieces coming along? Great. They're coming on great. What I have found being a playwright and author and screenwriter, too, for that matter, now is I started adding words to mine. Mm. I, I realized not too long ago I can't do much of anything if I can't write a word. Write a word. Yeah. That's my that's my go to art, I guess. Mm. Can you show that to the camera again so we can see it? Sure. Let's go around the room. And I, I said, that. why apologize for crying? Mm. And then you, and then I'm going the other way. Fear. That was a, that, that's what I hear all the time. Mm. The, the fear factor. Not that people say I'm afraid, but in their words, when they're telling me a story, you can, you can hear the fear in their voices. Sometimes I feel like that they say it because they're, and they're afraid that it might expand. So 
if they talk about their grief over their father, this might mean if they, if they talk about it and they, they make it, uh, you know, a thing, that their mother could drop dead or, you know, a, right. it seems like it's contagious kind of thing, which is too bad. I uh, also wrote the word abundance and love down here. And, my, and I'll share this with you. The person I'm thinking of just died recently, David McDonald, Broadway actor, good, good, wonderful friend, 63 years old, died getting out of a taxi cab after just doing rehearsal for Kinky Boots in New York, which is a show he was in uh, several years ago, living his best life. Uh, and so when I, when you said to choose a person, I wrote down all kinds of, you know, his smile, his voice, his energy, uh, and then started attaching the colors. But then I had to go back to the words. That was sure. important for me, for the words. It's beautiful. That Thank was, you for sharing that. Well, so I would totally put that in a museum. Okay. okay. So, yeah. You were like, mine can go in the recycle. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not today. Not today. And, and Catherine, I'm uh, curious as to the choice of the colors. Was that, um, it's very soothing. Oh, for this one? Yes. Um, Tell us about yours. This, so my aunt passed away, it's been many years now, but she was a very vibrant, loving, fun person. Um, I, I mentioned lipstick earlier because one of my memories of her is she, she always wore like this beautiful lipstick and when she kissed you, it would stick on your cheeks. Oh. You're walking around with, <laughs> with her lipstick on you. But um, anyway, so I just, I have a lot of memories of her with these types of colors, um, mm. whether it was things she wore or her lipstick or, um, yeah, she's just very vibrant. Mm, beautiful. Thank you. Okay, Richard, your turn. Oh, goodness gracious. Okay. Mine's all wet because it's paint, but here's mine. <gasps> oh, Richard. Okay, if you're listening and not watching. Um, what are you doing? Yeah, it's what really are you even question. doing? <laughs> You need they to might go be watch. driving. No, wait, no, no, no. They might what? be driving to work oh. or something. <laughs> True. Right? Listening. Yes. And we don't want you looking at the screen. So here, look, no. for all of you who they just shamed, I am here to have your back. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Don't text and drive. And I love the primary colors. So yeah, his is bright and vibrant. Yes. It was so it it's my dad got really sick. When, when I was in second grade, so I was picking memories, and he's still alive, but he's also still very sick. So mm -hmm. uh, there were memories before he got sick, and then I picked a couple of memories that, like, from after he was sick that he was able to, that we were able to create together. So those were the mm -hmm. colors that represented those two things. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Is there a reason that you picked mostly primary except for green? Well, I can tell you what they are. So we used to, um, green was actually for, we would, we, all the neighborhood kids would come to our house and we would play uh, games during the summer at night until like one or two in the morning. And my dad then would shove everybody in our car and bring each kid into home individually. Yeah. Uh, so green represented like outdoors to me. Um, mm -hmm. And when he was able to work, he would work uh, the late shift. So he would get home at like 12, one o'clock in the morning. And during the summer, he would wake me up and him and I would take walks around the city I grew up in. Yeah. And so yellow was for the uh, lines in the road because we would see how long we could walk down the middle of the road in our oh, little cool. town that we lived in. Until a car uh, came? 
Yeah, which was never because I lived in a very small city. So well, my sister and I lived in a small city too, and we did the same. Really? Yeah. yeah. Funny. It was fun. But yes, we would always say, like, I wonder if like a semi is going to come and no one would ever come because it was the middle of the night. Uh, Blue is for the Hearts New York Gala that he loves to come to every year. Uh, He flies into Texas and he loves to volunteer there. And then um, red, when my dad first got sick and he lost his eye and he wore like a patch for a while. uh, I brought him, I was in second grade and I brought him in as my show and tell item. Because I was like proud of him and I wanted to show him off, but it also like there's a little bit of guilt in that. So there's like a little like red flash in my memory of that of like, oh, that was so kind of mean to do to him. Like, like the cringe, the cringe. Yeah, look. the cringe. Yeah, like I wonder, I'll have to ask him when he gets here, but like I wonder what he thought of that when I was like, can you come show off your eye? Your yeah. eye. <laughs> but he did it because I asked him to. So those right. were my four love memories. That. I love that because I'm a young parent and so that's something totally like my four-year-old I could see he would come to me and say and I can only just imagine I can imagine a little boy coming up being like can I show off your eye like yeah yeah, yeah really <laughs> that's what I did yeah so what small town in Texas uh I actually grew up in northern Wisconsin Oh, Northern Wisconsin. Yes. Okay. Yes. There's small towns up there. There are a lot. Yes. It's like a completely different world. <laughs> Hallie, do we get to see yours? Yeah. Yes. Well, yes mine is mine is cringy. Uh, so sorry. Here's mine. Ooh. Ooh yes. Wow. But mine's a cringy memory like yours. I should have put red in. Um, no. So mine is my dad. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like that was kind of an obvious coming, but. When I was, I don't know how old it was, 13, 14 maybe, my dad took me for my birthday to Tower of Power. And um, what's that? Tower of Power, the band. Oh, okay. You don't know who Tower of Power is. You don't know who Tower of Power is? Okay, first of all, it's like. (laughs) We're listening. We don't know. (laughs) Okay. Like iconic black band staple in, okay, all right, that's fine. First of all, I was the youngest person there. Like, they've been around since the beginning of time. They've basically been around since Jesus was here. And they, um, I was the youngest girl there. And they played a jazz alley in Seattle. And, like, I, I grew up listening to that. And I loved it. And he took me. And so we saw some of the original members. And they play. And they're, like, an all-horns group. And they're just fantastic. And um, any... I, I was about to say any person over like 45 would totally know who they are. But Elizabeth was like, no, I don't know who that is. Um, right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but they're jazz, I guess. I don't know. They're pretty funky. And so he called me and I remember it was just like such a big deal. He got me filet mignon. It was like, I was so excited for steak because I love meat. And then I got this little tiny piece of meat. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> like, right? Like, I'm like 14, like, very disappointed. I dressed up. And when I look back at the pictures, I wore this blue tank top and like a black skirt and heels mm-hmm. and just like the cringe. Who let me leave the house like this? <laughs> Your dad. <laughs> I mean, like, I look fine as a 14 year old, but it's now as a grown woman, I cr- I'm like, oh my God. And um, I think I probably have like some sparkly eyeshadow or something. Just, cringy um but that is one of my favorite memories with my dad because we went and I remember 
you know, we stood up and the, the band like pointed me out because, you know, I'm just like this little girl and everyone there is older. And um, my dad was so excited to get me this steak and made it such a big deal. And it was like the size of my phone. And, you know, like it was just but it was it was one of those memories. It was my first time like at a live performance really close mm. to the stage with people who were really mm. iconic. And you know what I mean? So. Mm-hmm. And your dad was also a musician, so. He was. Um, and the cool thing about my dad is, I mean, we, my dad was a complicated person and he did a lot of talking and storytelling. So growing up when he said he was in a band, we always were like, okay, you know, okay. <laughs> um, and then after he passed, we found that he was like actually a rock star in a band in Alaska. <laughs> He wore like sparkly zebra print pants and heels and the whole nine and groupies. And like we found a Facebook group and on this Facebook group, they've been looking for him for years. And because he doesn't have any social media. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, dad, you were actually a rock star. What? Like, (laughs) so um, so it was pretty cool. Wow. I love that this project has turned into like laughter and Mm -hmm. like fun stories mm-hmm. like it all kind of started off like okay we have to think of someone okay <laughs> like and you know and now we're just like kind of, it's-, it's kind of similar to how we approach grief topics and this is a great example of how we can change that narrative of how the conversations usually go instead of like hey dad you're gonna die someday mm-hmm what does that look like? (laughs) It's like, Hey, when that time comes, what can, you know, what can we do to be fun? Like what, or, you know, I don't know if fun is the right word. I don't know. Depend your, depend your (laughs) audience. Put the fun back in funeral. (laughs) That's what my dad always says. (laughs) (laughs) Can I take that? That's how we're ending this podcast. Okay. Um, and that <laughs> might be the title of the podcast. Yeah. I like that. Uh, yeah. Just saying. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much, both of you, for being here. Thanks for having thank us on you. your podcast. And thanks for having us on your podcast. That's Everyone, perfect. this is a kind of a split duo tandem podcast extraordinaire affair. A lot of fun. Thanks for making a lot of fun. with us. Yes. And, Anytime. Uh, all right. And we put the fun in funeral, everyone. The fun in funeral. <laughs> we'll see you next time. We'll see Thank you. Time. Bye, Thank guys. You. Bye. Thank you for listening to Arts for the Health of It. This episode is produced by Hearts Need Art, creative support for patients and caregivers, and hosted by Richard Wilmore and Catherine Partisini. You can support the show and help others learn about the healing power of the arts by visiting heartsneedart.org. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Hearts Need Art, their staff, board members, or other affiliates. All content is created for informational purposes only. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice or to diagnose and treat any health condition. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in speaking because of something you've heard on this podcast.